Do you love Austin, Texas? Oh, I mean, we love us some Austin, Texas, right? We got barbecue, we got Tex-Mex, we got South By. Nobody loves South By. We got ACL. All right, we got Longhorns. Where are my river bats at? Yeah, all right, we got ACC. We love Austin, right? The capital of the greatest country in the world, <laughs> Texas, amen? Amen, we love our city. I mean, everybody loves this city for one reason or the other. I mean, really, besides the traffic, why do you not like Austin? Everybody loves Austin, Texas. There's nothing that's not good about it. I mean, you got downtown, you got nature. People from Dallas are like, what is nature, right? <laughs> it's this new phenomenon when they move down here. They can go outside and they can walk. You know, people from Detroit, they're like, what is nature? Get it away from me, okay? But it's a joy to be in this city. It's a joy to live where God has placed us in this time and season. And if you're visiting us today, unless you're from California, we're saying, hey, come and stay, okay? Because y'all be buying our houses right and left. There's no way I'm going to buy a house, okay? We love this city. We love our city. I mean, do you really love the city? You've got your favorite places to eat? All right, on three. One, two, three. I want you to shout out your favorite restaurant in Austin, Texas. Ready? One, two, three. Oh, that's beautiful. That's beautiful. Aren't you just happier now? Oh. All right. I'm not going to lie. There is a Popeye's in the Middle East when I was overseas about a month ago. And it was the only American restaurant where nobody was eating, okay? And so, I'm sorry, but Chick-fil-A is manna from heaven and Popeye is not. Well, I love this city just as much as you do. And by the way, my name is Adam Watson. I'm one of the pastors here at The Well. And this morning, we're going to be wrapping up a series on Jonah. And we're going to be looking at really having God's heart for this city. And so two big things, if you're taking notes with me today, we're going to look at what a true prophet's response is. We're going to look at Jesus' response. So that means we're going to go from Jonah, who we can tell from the last few weeks has not been a good true prophet. Now Jesus, a true prophet, his response and how he views the city, how he sees the city. And then we're going to shift from that and we're going to look at God's heart for the city and why we should have a heart for the city. And so I pray that we walk out of here today exalting Jesus for who he is, the true prophet that he is, and that we'd also walk out of here burdened and also joyful at the same time for our city. That God has called us to this place for such a time as this to live in Austin, Texas. And that as weird as Austin is, that God could do the impossible with Austin and make it a city that's known for his name. He did the impossible in Nineveh. He can do the impossible here. So those are our two big things. And then within that, we're going to really look at some practical evangelistic tools, okay? And, and to do that, uh, we've been talking the last four weeks or so, and you've been convicted and I've been convicted that we're a lot more like Jonah in the Old Testament than we ever wanted to admit, right? We judge people and we think we deserve salvation more than others. And so we want to lay that down and we want to see really how do we share the gospel then. And so as I've had conversations with different folks, I, I really think it comes down to three questions. 
And those questions we're going to answer throughout this. And so those questions are really, who do I share the gospel with? How do I share the gospel? And then one that might surprise you is, why? Why do I share the gospel? And so we're going to look at those this morning. But before we get into that, let's get into the Word. And so we're going to be in Jonah 4, and we're going to jump from Jonah 4 to Luke 19. And if you can't tell already, this is not a Christmas message per se, but it is because Jesus has come. And so we're going to look at that together. And next week, we're going to really celebrate Christmas big. We're going to sing. We're going to light candles and sing too. Tori had never seen that before. It's going to be a beautiful day. So we're going to do that in this place next week. But go ahead and turn to Jonah 4. Uh, The ushers will bring you a Bible. If you don't have one, we would love for you to raise your hand if you don't have a Bible. And they will gladly bring one to you. You can also follow along with this link on the screen if you need a Bible this morning. So first thing we want to do is we really want to just kind of look back at what we've been going through in Jonah the last few weeks. And so we've seen over and over there's this contrast of Jonah and Jesus for us as we look at the scriptures with what we know now. And with this story, if we look at the book of Jonah really just as a story, there's a protagonist and an antagonist, okay? Pro being good, antagonist being against the story, what's the good that's going to happen in the story. And so the protagonist is pretty clear, if you've been to, you know, third grade English, it's God, okay? And so God is the protagonist. Whose idea was it to save Nineveh? It's God's, right? He's the one initiating the good in this story. He's the one appointing and reaching out over and over again. And then who's the antagonist? Is Jonah. He's the one judging and saying these people don't really deserve salvation. And so if we put Jonah and Jesus side by side, what we've learned the past few weeks, we see that Jonah preaches a message calling for repentance. We see that Jesus, when he comes on the scene, he preaches a message calling for repentance. We see that Jonah ran from his difficult calling, though. He ran from a people he didn't think deserved this message. And what did Jesus do? He ran to them, and he came down from heaven to earth to be with us, to dwell with us, right? That's what we're celebrating this Christmas season, is that God himself came. He came to us. We didn't have to make our way to him. We see that Jonah slept on a ship during a storm caused by his own disobedience and then offered his life up to save the people based on his disobedience. We see that Jesus slept on a ship and he saved the people on the boat and there was no disobedience on his part. It was on theirs and a lack of faith, right? We see that Jonah knew that salvation belonged to the Lord. We see that Jesus is salvation. We see that Jonah despised God for showing grace to others, and Jesus modeled grace toward repentant sinners, right? Like you and me. We see that Jonah was angry enough to die because of God's grace towards others, and we see that Jesus was willing to die for God's grace to be given to others. And we see that Jonah cared exceedingly, it said in Jonah 4, about his comfort, about a little plant that gave him comfort. We see that Jesus cared about all of us, that he gave up the comfort of heaven to reconcile us to God. That's good news this morning, right? That we have a true prophet. We have one who has given us the perfect example, and his name is Jesus. So the first thing I want to do in this is is go back to Jonah 4, verse 5. So I want you to go there with me. It's going to be on the screen if you don't have a copy of the scriptures. Again, if you do, raise your hand and they will bring one to you. But Jonah 4 verse 5 says, Jonah went out of the city and set to the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade 
till he should see what would become of the city. There's some very important words there. They're going to set us up for the rest of the day, really. And, and one of the main ones is see. Think about what you're looking for, okay? When you see the city of Austin, what do you see? When you see the people in this room, what do you see? Here we see that Jonah is looking, he's waiting, he's watching, and he's hoping to see the destruction of people. Have you ever done that? Don't raise your hand. But have you ever watched and waited to see other people fail because you thought you deserved better? That's what Jonah's doing here. And we look at how Jonah sees the city. Well, how does he see the city? Jonah is judging the city. He's watching. He's waiting. And, and think about it. When you see, you're, you're judging something. You're judging someone most often. But even just in the literal term, go back to Genesis 1. God saw that it was good. We're making a value statement when we see something. And so right here... And, and I think for all of us today, we need to learn how to see the city of Austin. We need to think about what we're looking at. We realize that Jonah did not even believe the message he proclaimed because he was watching and waiting for it to fail. That would be like, whoa, there we go. That would be like one of us <laughs> jumping up here and doing that and assuming that nothing good was going to come from the message. It's like coming up and reading God's word and saying, Man, nothing good's going to come from that. That's what Jonah did. In fact, a lot of us share our faith that way. We share our faith not expecting God to do anything with what we've given Him, really. Because when you're sharing your faith with somebody else, you're sharing for God. You're sharing with God. It's not necessarily for that other person. It's not just for you. It's actually for God's glory. That's why we're sharing with Him, right? Not only that, we see him go outside the city. This is really key. Whenever somebody goes to the east in Scripture, we don't have time to get into it, but they're going east to judge. They're going east to look back in, and on a very literal sense, where does the sun set? Sets in the west. He's waiting all day. He's looking till it goes down. He's hoping that their destruction will come. Jonah had a preference over who he thought deserved to hear the gospel. He judged out of fear rather than out of faith. And, and I guarantee you, if Jonah came to Austin, Texas and looked at Austin, Texas, he would be on one of those carnival cruises out of Galveston as fast as he possibly could, okay? He'd be going to set up in the Bahamas, get out of here. He's trying to get away. He's calling, you know, Elon Musk. He's trying to get to the moon. Whatever it is, he's trying to get away from this place. Because if he had, sees our city... And he sees the way we act. He's thinking, it's impossible for this city to really know you, God. Some of us have forgotten where we live, to be honest. And, and some of us forget that we too need to repent of judgment, just like Jonah. You might be here this morning and, man, you love the people in this room. But when you get to work on Monday morning, man, you, you don't even care. You might think, man, it's impossible for that person to come to know God. It's impossible. But our God is much bigger than what you and I think is possible. And we just sang earlier that we need to surrender. When we sing it loudly, we sing it boldly. I could hear us together. Oh, surrender your judgment this morning of the people in Austin. 
Because often, as believers, we're judging people who aren't believers based on sin that we haven't even told them exists. And in reality, we need to be a lot harder on each other so that we can actually build each other up and push each other and challenge each other to share our faith rather than just living in little huddles of people that don't actually care about the world. Because that's exactly what Israel did. And that's what Jonah did is they cared about preserving themselves instead of the mission of God. When we look at Jesus, he does something very different than preserve himself, doesn't he? This is what a true prophet does. Jesus, how does he see the city? Does he see the city and go outside it? Does he judge the city? Does he do what Jonah does? Does he do what we do? Actually, no. He enters the city, and in fact, when he's on his way, is really good, where we're going to pick up today in Luke 19, so you can turn there. But we're going to see this story that might not feel like a Christmas story. It might not feel like Jesus is coming, but hey, this is when he came. Because this is when he enters Jerusalem to give up his life for you and me. And so in Luke 19, 41, when Jesus sees Jerusalem, when he sees the great city, the city of the kings, right? This is Jerusalem. This is God's city. Luke 19.41 says this, And when he drew near and saw the city, he wept over it. Think again. When you see something, you're giving value to it. When you see something, you're calling out the truth about it. You're really saying, this is what I believe about this. And when you speak, you're revealing your character about it. So what you see is your value statement. What you say is revealing your character. And right here, it says that Jesus saw the city and he wept. That word wept is actually translated that he wailed. It's the only time we see this. There's three times Jesus cries or weeps in the Bible. But this translation right here, this word, is that he's wailing. Now this moment didn't happen in a vacuum. Jesus didn't just appear there. This was actually the culmination of who Jesus is. This is the culmination of time, really, because it's even been prophesied. This is the day, all the way back in Daniel. It says, this is the time. This is the moment. This is everything is coming to this point. There's no random city he's walking up to, guys. This is Jerusalem. He was born for this moment. All of history was set up for this moment. Jesus' story had led to this moment. Now think about it. You're sitting with Jesus. Maybe he's about 20 years old at this time. You know, and you say, hey man, where are you from? Ever thought about that? Sitting, getting a hamburger with Jesus. Actually, it's probably some falafel, okay? Some coffee and that good stuff in the Middle East. Can you imagine just interacting with him on a normal basis? Like, hey bro, where are you from? Heaven. (laughs) Get out of here, man. Like, I mean, where do you start? You, You ask people, hey, where are you from? Uh, I'm from heaven. You know, it's like, I'm the second person of the Trinity. Like, how do you <laughs> communicate this? Like, I, I would feel empathetic to Jesus here. It's like, how can you be a normal person? It's like, I'm from Bethlehem. No, where are you originally from? Uh, I mean, I mean, there, how does he do this, right? <laughs> so, where did Jesus live? Where is he from? What is his story? Well, if we know his story, then we know how big this moment is. He comes from eternity past. Okay, sitting with Jesus, getting a hamburger. I'm from eternity past. Wow, tell me, tell me more about that, right? There's something there. There's more to this story. It's from heaven. Uh, I was miraculously born in Bethlehem. Oh, how, how does that happen? Like, wait, your parents, wait, what? Like, 
how do you communicate this, right? So he goes from heaven to Bethlehem, and then he actually goes to Egypt, and he has to flee to Egypt because of Herod. And how do you communicate that? Well, I was a refugee and an immigrant at age three. Okay, that's the savior of the world. Does that start to shift your view of the king of kings? Then I lived in Nazareth. And in Nazareth, you know, we were kind of considered rednecks. And in Nazareth, you know, people didn't believe what I had to say. And in fact, when I told them where I was really from and who my father really is, they wanted to throw me off a cliff. In fact, now they've named that place Mount Precipice because it's so famous because they want to throw me off that. And um, yeah, it's pretty crazy. You want to hear more about that? Actually, in Nazareth, Mount Precipice, and I was there about less than a, a month ago in Israel, and I got to see that where Jesus was growing up, his backyard as a young man was the Valley of Megiddo. And if you're understanding where we're headed here, the Valley of Megiddo is where the Battle of Armageddon will happen. Now, I never put two and two together, but I got to look out and see that Jesus, as a teenager, is making battle plans for eternity to win the Battle of Armageddon. I mean, how cool is that? Jesus' story doesn't happen in a vacuum. There's no accident with where he lives. There's no accident with what city he is in. In fact, he, he gets rejected in his hometown, and he has to leave. And, and then he goes to the Sea of Galilee, and he, he has these disciples, and they start following him, and he starts sharing this good news. And he says, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And he heals the lame, and he heals the blind, and he feeds 5,000 people at one time. He brought people back from the dead. He taught in the synagogues and he confronted the religious leaders. He brought freedom to the oppressed. He healed the sick. He loved the poor. He did only his heavenly father's will. And here where we pick up is his triumphal entry into Jerusalem. It's better known as Palm Sunday is what this story is right here. Where he's entering into give up his life for you and me. And so we pick up in what might be a familiar story to some, but probably not for this time of year. See, here Jesus is coming. Just like we're anticipating him coming for Christmas, he's coming into Jerusalem. So like Luke 19, 37, we'll start there and then we'll jump into 41. He says, As he was drawing near, already on the way down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice. For all the mighty works they had seen, saying, Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. He answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. The very stones would talk about who this Jesus is. Doesn't that give you and me a little emphasis to share the gospel? To talk about him? Are you going to be outdone by some rocks? I mean, really. Because right now we are. He's saying the stones will cry out. The good news is worth sharing. And so we take a step back from this and we think, what are those questions? Who do I share the gospel with? How do I share the gospel with? Why do I share the gospel? Why do we talk about this Jesus? Why do we want to even share about who he is the stones are crying out and worshiping him he is worthy to be praised peace in heaven and glory in the highest when we look at who do we need to share the gospel with i I really just want to break it down even more simple is 
who do you see? Who do you see? And, and who do I talk to becomes a question of who's right in front of you. Who is right in front of you? How do you share the gospel? Well, how you share the gospel is just really asking, what do I say? How do I proclaim? How do I talk more than the rocks about Jesus? Well, it, it takes action, right? It takes speaking on his behalf. And why do we share the gospel? It's really a question of what's my motivation? It might be easy for you to jump up and be like, Jesus, that's why we share the gospel. Heaven, that's why we share the gospel. What's your motivation? What's your heart saying about that? Because when Jesus looks out at the city and weeps, it says so, so much about how he sees you and me. We actually know the spot where Jesus wept in Jerusalem. It's called Dominus Flevit. Jesus weeps over Jerusalem here. And he sees that the people are worshiping him at the same time. He is receiving the earthly worship that he's due, really. He's worthy of worship. Think if everybody was chanting your name and singing for you, and saying, glory, glory, and they were just praising you, what would your reaction be? You'd be like Kobe, right? You'd be like Mamba out. Like You'd be like, I am the man. Jesus turns, he starts weeping. Luke 19, 41 says, And when he drew near and saw the city, he wept over it, saying, Would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. I think it's so interesting that he brings up our eyes, what we see. He has hidden this from them. They are blind to the truth. They're the blind to the truth of who he is. The entire city, the city that's been loved by God, really the most on planet Earth, where creation itself has happened, here is this city rejecting the Messiah. Luke first recorded Jesus weeping over the city from outside its walls because he knew what lay before its people. The Jews' rejection of their Messiah. It's also, it also gives a reason for the Christian mission on which Jesus later sent his disciples. And get this, as both God and man, Jesus wept over the judgment that was coming on the people of Jerusalem reflecting God's sorrow over the rejection of his provision of salvation. I hear this and I think, when is the last time I wept over the city of Austin? When is the last time you wept over the lostness of Austin? Verse 43. For the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade around you and hem you in on every side and tear you down to the ground, you and your children within, and they will not leave one stone upon another in you because you did not know the time of your visitation. There are so many people in this city that do not know the time of God's visitation. They do not know that he's right in front of them. In fact, many of us forget of what he's done for us that we are not even aware of what he's done. The city is going to be ruined. When Jesus sees the city, they see a temple. They see a 17-story tall temple that is worshiping the God of heaven. And he sees it being torn down because he can envision what the city will become. 
Luke continued to describe Jesus' approaching Jerusalem as his city of destiny. When he saw the city in light of its rejection of salvation, he later saw the judgment being poured out. Can you imagine him walking in knowing what is going to come that week? This is part of Jesus' story. That week, he gives up his life for you and me. He's buried in his three days in a tomb. And guys, he's not there anymore. I went there. He's not there. That should change the way we live. That should change the way we share with our city. He resurrects and he ascends into heaven. And we believe he is coming back for you and me. So Jesus' right response of laying down his life and weeping over a city should motivate us to share the gospel, shouldn't it? I mean, what do you see when you see the city of Austin? What's incredible, too, is when Jesus is standing on the Mount of Olives and he's walking in and and standing there, I never realized how close everything was. He's actually also looking over the Garden of Gethsemane where later that week he'll ask the Father, if there's any way, would you take this cup away from me? He sees that garden, and from that garden, he can also in his sight just see all the way to the gate where he's going to come through and be victorious at the end of the world. He can see where he's going to judge the sheep and the goats, where he's going to divide everything. He sees the next eternity in front of him, and yet he weeps over Jerusalem because he knows what's coming and he knows the judgment that has to come. Often, we we miss the simplicity and really the intensity of the gospel in a lot of ways. When we think of sharing the gospel with our city, we can be really overwhelmed. When you think of the statistics in Austin, it, it can get overwhelming. It's why we plant churches the way we do. It's why we are a going church instead of a growing church. Because we see that there is such a need for people in Austin to know who Jesus is. If you look at a city like Dallas, over 44% of the city of Dallas says they're in church on a Sunday morning. If you look at the city of Austin, if every single chair in every church was filled up on a Sunday morning, only 7% of Austin would be in a chair on Sunday morning. That matters. That's one reason why we do what we do. And and one of the the biggest ways we do it and need to do it is just really simply sharing the gospel for what it is. And so we're going to answer this second question of how do we share the gospel. The first one of who do we share the gospel with. I really just want to encourage you, who do you see? Who's God put in front of you? And how do we share the gospel? Well, number one is don't overcomplicate the message of the gospel. Does that sound good? I confess that I make things so complicated when it comes to sharing God's Word. And, and I imagine you do too. You think you have to have all these right phrases, have it all laid out. you got a slideshow and everything, okay? We complicate the message of the gospel. And often we complicate it because we forget its power and what it's done for us. Let me read what might be the most famous verse in all of Scripture. And if this doesn't affect you some way this morning, man, man, look back at it till it does. Let the Holy Spirit work on you because if this verse doesn't matter to you, man, you, you're missing everything else. Yes, John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that he gave 
his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. You know that one. 17, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Same power today. Is the first day you heard it? Hopefully it's even more powerful because you know that he's not condemning you, but he's loving you. Don't overcomplicate the message of the gospel. Number two, listen to God's voice. Even Jonah finally listened to God. If God's telling you to go share with somebody, just do it. Don't wait till you're on a ship and have to jump off of it, okay? Don't overcomplicate the gospel and listen to his voice. Listen to his word. Listen to what he's trying to tell you. Number three, don't forget what your story is. Don't forget what God has done in your life. It is worth sharing. Number four is, is do you know the person you're trying to share the gospel with? And I think this is where most people get hung up. It's like, I know I need to share the gospel with my dad. I know I need to share the gospel with my coworker. But if you don't know them, you can't put it in their context. And that's something that's so, so important. Tim Keller writes this. He says, when we're really trying to share the gospel with a culture, he says, so the first task of contextualization, putting it in their context, is to immerse yourself in the questions, hopes, and beliefs of the culture so you can give a biblical gospel-centered response to its questions. When you're trying to share the gospel with somebody, you need to know their story. You need to know what they're going through. You don't want to just push it down on them. And that is so often what pushes people away from the gospel. And number five, don't get tired of the gospel. If you're tired of the gospel, if, if you heard John 3.16 and that was old news to you, man, the gospel is not old news. And what Jesus has done for us is not old news. So I'd challenge you this morning as we're looking at God's heart for this city, would you remember God's heart for you? Uh, this morning, I want to just push us towards looking at a really simple way to share the gospel. And I want to share a story with you briefly from uh, our time in the Middle East just uh, less than a month ago. Some of you know we, we took a team from the well to go and to share the gospel and to connect with some ministry partners in the Middle East. And we were in Israel and the country to the east of it. How about that? And there we got to see six refugee, Syrian refugees, uh, come to know Jesus. And yeah, praise God. Yeah. And, w- and one of the things that, that I want to share, and I asked one of the girls on our team, Jenna, if I could share this story because I felt like it was so pertinent to us, is as you hear us talk about Jonah these last few weeks, and as you go to your community groups and you're talking about sharing the gospel with people, you might be feeling this pressure to have a story to share. That, hey, I shared this, I did this. And if you go to our community groups, you know that we want to m- encourage people to share the gospel with others. That's one thing that we really value really highly. And Jenna, about 9.30 one morning in one of our devotionals, just want to confess to all of us that, hey, I just feel this pressure to go home with a story to share about somebody coming to know Jesus. And I was like, man, Jenna, thank you for for sharing that with us. You know, we really appreciate that. Well, by 11 o'clock, the story I'm about to share with you is what happened, okay? Confession's great. Confess at 9.30. By 11 o'clock, this is what happened. She's in a home, and, and what we got to do is we'd go and, and we'd really sit, like, cross-legged. And I, I know this is weird for some of you, especially Tori. But 
we'd sit cross-legged and we'd have coffee or tea. And we'd sit on the ground. It's a really simple way to share the gospel. And we'd sit down and we'd have tea with a family that had nothing but really coffee and tea. And they were sharing with us some that had been refugees for like seven years. They had fled from Syria and they were looking for hope. They were looking for a reason to even live. And there was these two ladies in particular that Jenna went to meet with. And Jenna got to get up and go down to where they lived and sat down with them. There was one that lived upstairs and one that lived downstairs. And in their culture, they were married to the same man. Yeah. And that man had fled and gone back to Syria to fight. So he left two women who were both married to him living in the same house with nothing. And the one downstairs had come to know Jesus and was afraid to share the gospel with the woman who lived upstairs. And so Jenna had just confessed, God, I really, you know, need to just surrender, sharing a story about what God's doing. Like, so I, I just want to give that to you guys. And she confesses that. Now she's sitting cross-legged, just like I am right here. And she gets the opportunity to go with the one wife that lives downstairs and go upstairs and share the gospel. What do you think happens next? Well, she draws this really simple drawing. It's got three circles. The first one just says God's design. And so she's writing on the ground with a little piece of paper and pen and saying, hey, this is what God made you for, that he loves you and that he created you and that he wants you to be in relationship with him. But we sin and we break things and the world's a broken place. And so she draws a second circle. And that circle is really simply just showing the brokenness of this world. I mean, this woman had been a refugee. She had been left by her husband. She had nothing financially. She was broken. In a similar way to many people in Austin, living with loneliness, addiction, we're broken. We live in a broken world. You might be here this morning, and you're feeling broken. And so she shares that with, with this woman and then she draws another arrow, and she, she draws another circle, and it just says gospel. It just says that this is about the gospel. This is good news. God didn't want us to stay in this broken world. And so in that, she writes that you, you can actually recover and respond. You can respond to this message, and you can come to know Jesus. You can know this truth, and you can live in God's design relationship with you again that you can know the truth of who God is and that he loves you, that he cares for you, and he wants you to be in heaven with him. And then she asked the woman, which one of these three circles do you see yourself in? And the woman says, in the broken one. So which circle do you want to be in? In God's design. And that woman came to know Jesus right there. And so now two women that are married to the same man are illegally following Jesus in a country in the Middle East. Now that's a pretty good story to share, right Jenna? When we surrender our expectations of sharing the gospel, God opens up some amazing things. When we surrender what we think this city should look like, God can do amazing things in this city. And I want to share with you too that over 20 people got baptized this last Friday in that ministry. God's heart for this city. 
Our stories are deeply connected to the places we're from, right? In fact, our cities define a lot of who we are. If you ask me where I'm from and where I grew up in high school, I would say, man, I'm from Atlanta. And my brother would say, I'm from Georgia. Same house, same driveway. We're communicating very different things. I wore J's in high school, and he had a gun in the back of his truck, okay? Very different things we wanted communicated. But we were from the same place. Uh, We do that with Austin all the time. We do that because the city shapes the culture. Where you are from shapes you, and you shape it. But why cities? Why does God care so much for the big city? Does that mean he doesn't care for Wimberley, Texas? No, he loves Wimberley. Does that mean that he loves Austin more than New Braunfels? No. What does it mean? Does it mean he loves Austin more than Round Rock? Yeah, probably. But (laughs) why? Cities are God's invention. Cities develop culture. In fact, the gospel spread through cities. By 300 AD, over 90% of the countryside was still pagan. Why? 50% of the cities had been evangelized. That's where God called the early church to go. And then it affected the whole culture, and the city affected the culture, and the culture affected the rest of the countries. Christianity has always captured the cities. And when it captures the city, it captures the society. We, too, need to capture the heart of this city. God has uniquely equipped cities to be places of culture, places of sending, places that have resources. Cities, think about it. They bring out the best of society and the worst of society. We've got people living in high-rises. We've got hipsters. We've got homeless. We've got all these people right here. Austin, if you don't know or if you've lived under a rock, is the fastest-growing country in America. The fastest growing city in America. (laughs) And with that come a lot of different issues, right? Where we as the church can be an answer. Do you know that last year the homeless population in Austin went up 5%? Did you know that the churches, as as we need to keep planting, we would have to plant almost 3,000 churches to catch up with the rate of growth in Austin? We're supposed to be at 4.2 million people by 2032, when Micaiah graduates high school. (laughs) Right now we're at 2.2 in greater Austin. We need to challenge each other to love the city. When I first got up here, you said you love the city. You shouted your favorite restaurant. Oh, man, I love this city so much, right? I love Austin, Texas. You love Matthew McConaughey. You love Willie Nelson. You love that Jimmy Fallon came down and sang, I'm a country boy. You love all that, but do you really love this city? I pray that we have God's heart for this city. And we can best have God's heart for this city when we realize that we are not citizens of this city, but we are citizens of heaven. Hebrews 13, 14 says, For we, for here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. I want to close this out today by taking our perspective from Austin to the eternal city. A lot of us miss this. Is that yes, God sent his son to come down. God's also sending his city down. Because what happens at the end of the Bible in Revelation 21, go ahead and turn there we get to see a picture that God not only brings Jesus, he brings 
his whole city. He brings who he is. And we start the Bible in a garden and we end in a city because he's called us to flourish and to multiply and to grow. So that also brings me to our third question this morning. Why do we share the gospel? Yes, why do we share the gospel? It's not just about Jesus. It's not just about uh, our own motivation. It's not about just keeping it that way. It's not just about us all going to heaven together. But we see that our why is greater than all of us. Our why is because we see what the city will be. We get a glimpse of heaven, and so we're not just saying, hey, things are going to be good, and you can live a moral life and follow the Sermon on the Mount while you live here. It's, you're not staying here. And you, you get to go to heaven. You get to be in the city of God. Do you really, really believe that this morning? Revelation 21, 1-4 says this, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be any mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things had passed away. And what do you think about that city? Do you love that city? I love that city. I want to invite people into that city. And, and we get to be the best citizens of earth when we realize we're citizens of heaven. Because we get to live in anticipation of not just waiting for this city to change, not just waiting for Austin to look more like heaven. Heaven is coming down to us. We get to see this happen. This also gives us an urgency. Often we, we think that, man, people dying and going to hell is our motivation to share the gospel, but it's clearly not because that's happening every day and we're not sharing the gospel. And, and I want to challenge you hard on this as we close here is, what is your motivation? Why do you want to share the gospel? Can you envision what Austin will be when people are in heaven, when they're living and dwelling with God, when there's no more tears, there's no more pain? When is the last time you wept over Austin, Texas? When is the last time you looked out like Jesus, not like Jonah, but like Jesus, and you saw the city? Do you see what the city can become? If we see the city repent, we see the culture repent. We're in the live music capital of the world. This place is changing the tech industry. It's affecting so many different people. And you have a voice into it. Your story is tied with the story of Austin in ways that you and I could never even begin to imagine. You have an opportunity to shape this place to look like the great city that's coming. So this Christmas, don't just anticipate gifts. Don't anticipate what is coming on Christmas Day. Anticipate Jesus, God with us, Emmanuel, 
your kids this morning are, are going through curriculum that looks at Emmanuel, God with us, that he's come down. And not only is Jesus coming, but God's whole city is coming. Pray for Austin. If you're going home for the holidays, pray for your hometown. So who do you share the gospel with? Who do you see? Who has God put in front of you? How do you share the gospel? Don't overcomplicate it. Why do you share the gospel? Because you see what this city can be. You see what people can be. Well, we cannot love this city corporately, together, as much as any one of us can individually by loving our neighbor. This is a call to each of us individually to love the people that God has put right in front of us. So I want to pray this morning that you and I would see this city differently. Even with the fog this morning, even with all the busyness and all the events that happen in this city, would you have God's heart for this city? And would you see people like the true prophet does, like Jesus does, when he sees the city, he weeps over it, knowing what will come unless people repent. So we pray for the repentance of Austin. I want to pray for that this morning. And I want to pray almost a dedicatory prayer that we would pray together that God would move in this city and that revival would come to these people, us. Because look around the room. Go ahead. It's okay. Look around the room. This is a picture of what the city can be. This is a picture of what the city will be. Because heaven looks a lot like this right here. A diverse group of people worshiping the King of Kings in His holy city with everything that they have. Let's pray together. Lord, this morning, would you change our hearts to be like your heart? That when we see the city, we would love your people. We would love the people that are far from you. We would love not just what we like about Austin, but those that need you in Austin. Lord, I pray that we would love the diversity in this room, and we would love the diversity in this city. Would you challenge us to surrender our expectations of what we want to get out of this city, and would you show us how we can give and love and serve this city? God, as we go to Martin, and as we give these Christmas presents this morning, would our church be a church that if it wasn't in this community, that the community would miss the well? Would you make us a church that makes such a difference where you have placed us? Lord, I pray that you would soften our hearts. And for those that need to surrender judgment this morning, for those that have been acting like Jonah to this city, I pray that we, myself included, would see people the way you see them. Would you take judgment away from us? And as we go from this place, would you send us with love and would you open our eyes to see the way that you see Jesus? We love you, Jesus. We ask that you would get the glory in this city. We believe that the impossible can happen, that you, Jesus, can make Austin a city like Nineveh. 
when nobody thought it was possible for it to come to know you and be known for your name, would this city be known for your name? We love you, Jesus. Amen.